It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, and a very special guest from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is joining me tonight. Rob Vanstone, senior journalist and riders historian. Rob, welcome to the program. Thanks, Don. Great to be with you again. It's always great to talk to you. Now, you are in a new position with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You had been with the Leader Post in Regina for 36 years, something over 13,000 days, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I figured it out one time, uh, 13,100 and something, I think. Continuously, I, I just never went home. <laughs> I can imagine. Life of a journalist is not a nine-to-five job ever. Never. It, uh, I remember the days when it was nine to five because it was started at 9 p.m. and ended at five in the morning. So uh, it's a different time, different era. Very true. It was about, what, February 23rd that this all came to culmination. But let's go before that. How, who came to whom and how, how was this all processed? I sent an email to Craig Reynolds on a Sunday night. Uh, Craig Reynolds being the Rough Riders president and CEO. On a Sunday night about 11 p.m., uh, just indicating that just kind of, it was just kind of a feeler, just asking if that'd be something they would be interested in doing. There's been that model with, with, uh, some other teams that Winnipeg blue bombers, especially with the, the wonderful Ed Tate, you know, we've seen it with NHL.com and, and Dave Stubbs and the amazing stuff that he does and, and et cetera, et cetera. It's not really a unique model anymore. And I just kind of put a feeler out. Turns out they were interested. It took one, it took seven days and 24 minutes from beginning to end. <laughs> from first chat with Craig Reynolds at 3.02 p.m. on a Monday afternoon to uh, to signing an offer the following Monday at 3.26 p.m. So uh, it all came together with shocking speed. I didn't expect anything to kind of come of it, really. You know, the way things had been going with the newspaper industry, it was almost like I was just trying to give myself a, you know, a landing spot if something were to go completely south and it had been a it had been a tough tough week leading up to the up to that and it had been really stressful and it was just kind of a casual email and then and then when craig responded sounding very interested uh the interest was reciprocal it turned into something we i think both parties really wanted to happen and, and wanted to happen very very quickly and uh, i'm so flattered and honored by by uh their interest and uh, and I still can't believe it's uh, it's real. I, it's been almost two months and I still go in there and expect someone to escort me out of there at some point. <laughs> I feel like I'm intruding. <laughs> so cool. When I sat down for the first formal interview, I had a, I had a uh, informal coffee with with Craig Reynolds on that Monday afternoon, and then the following Thursday, I met with uh, Anthony Partipillo, the the chief brand officer, and Ariel Zur, the the director of communications and uh and i kind of had it in my mind what i'd like it to be and then as they outlined the job description it was pretty much everything i had on my list i was totally disarmed by the way they described it i hadn't really given them any inkling of what i was expecting or hoping for they just defined it and, and i walked out of that room just with my head spinning it was just amazing i remember driving home from the interview and i i felt a sudden inclination. I got to call my mom and tell her about this. And then I started getting all weepy because my mom passed away in December, 2019. And I'd always shared things like that with mom. And, uh, 
And so I actually had to pull over because I was really teary, <laughs> right? It was just as long as they followed up with an offer, it was going to, I was going to say yes. And uh, I'm so glad I did. It's not many people who get to say they've had two dream jobs in a lifetime. And that's how, how blessed I've been. It's not often when both sides have the same terms of reference when they're coming into a meeting to discuss a job opportunity. I was floored by it. I mean, just the, the fact that they were, the, you know, that they were, you know, amenable to it uh, so quickly. I had no grand plan. It was just kind of like, do you think there's some, something like this could maybe work? Kind of, maybe, sort of. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, they had been wanting to, to do more in terms of, uh, in terms of content that had been one of their priorities during the, during the off season, they wanted there to be more on riderville.com and they wanted to engage, uh, with, with, with the fans more direct directly and more frequently. And it just, it was just really, really fluky and fortuitous timing on my, on my part. There was no intuition. There was no, you know, gentle nudge in the subtle nudge in the ribs. Uh, there'd been no overtures from them. It just, it was just a, casual email that just turned into something wonderful. Here we are. <laughs> it's still, uh, it's still weird. You know, I spent a lot of time working in the alumni lounge at Mosaic stadium. And so I'm sitting there looking at this football field in this immaculate stadium. It just, this is my office. It's just so surreal. Well, especially for a person that was, I wouldn't necessarily say it was on the other side, but you were always coming there to find out stuff, to get opinions on stuff, to review what had happened with the team. And suddenly now you've crossed over and are speaking for the team. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it, it's a different, it's a different role. It's a different, you know, a bit of a different mindset, but the one thing that hasn't changed is that I'm very passionate about that football team. And, you know, in a way I felt like I'd crossed over in the summer of 1996 when suddenly I went from season ticket holder to writing about the Rough Riders when I was appointed sports columnist. I never applied for that job. They just decided one day I would be the sports columnist. Thank you, Bob Hughes. You can't really be a sports columnist in Regina without writing about the Rough Riders. And I'd kind of had it arranged where I just wanted to be the hockey writer for life so I could just go to rider games and not have to cover them and just enjoy them strictly as a fan. And so that's where I felt I actually kind of crossed over because that was a huge threshold to not sit in section 204, row 14, seat 23, and to not lose my voice at a rider game, uh, things like that. That was the, that was a way tougher transition than this one has been. Uh, a lot of the things that, uh, that I'm passionate about and that have followed for years, I, I just, it just feels like I'm doing a lot of times the same job just, you know, for a different, uh, on a different platform. Now, how difficult was it for you to go into the leader post for the last time and look around and see those faces that you've been with and worked with and know that this was it? This was going to be my last day after this much time. It made it a little easier in that we aren't working in the office anymore. I'll always call them we. Now I'm calling the riders we and I'm calling the leader post we. I <laughs> It's, uh, it's, uh, I got to decide which we is actually we now, you know, they're both so close to my heart. So I, I reserve the right to refer to the leader post as we, we weren't in the newsroom anymore. And, and the, our space at, at 1964 park street, wasn't the original space that we once occupied. So the, the tougher part was in night in 2019, when I, you know, cleaned out my desk and moved it to a different part of the building in a new surrounding uh that was the way tougher transition 
you know, I did hadn't grown as attached to the different, to the other workspace because it was just not what I was, you know, traditionally used to it. The, the, uh, leaving the people was, was tough. I mean, they'll, I never really, really felt like I had colleagues. They were all friends taking, still taking that last walk out of the, the newsroom and turning off the lights. I did take a little video of it with my iPhone as I walked out, just kind of to, to, to document it. But, you know, the friendships endure, the people that I've gotten to know really well, we, uh, we, we still keep in touch and, uh, that's, there's, that's not going anywhere. You know, Colin McGarrigal, the, uh, new managing editor, the leader post could not have been nicer and more understanding and more accommodating. He's was, he was, he took what was a really tough, could have been a really tough phone conversation after I signed the Rough Riders offer. Uh, the first thing I did was phone call him and, uh, he, he was just sensational about it and uh, I'll always be indebted to him for that and, uh, indebted to everybody at the LP for meaning so much to me over the years. And the relationship isn't severed. I'm still a subscriber. On your first day going to Mosaic, did you maybe make a wrong turn? And No, I, I, I couldn't figure out the elevator. <laughs> I thought maybe they've heard about me. The elevator won't go to the fourth floor. So I, uh, um, I'm standing there pressing four, 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 four on the morning of February 21st. And, uh, there's no elevator and I'm, it's not, it, you know, it's, it, it was like the elevator that Otis forgot. And it's like, Hmm, maybe they've heard about me. This elevator is not ascending. And then, and then, uh, the, uh, Carol Hoving, the ticket control officer happened to, at a very, again, more fortuitous timing happened to, uh, come to work and, and she was able to get us to the fourth floor. So I was, uh, I was stand, stranded there for about two minutes before I could actually get to the office, just standing in the elevator, wondering what to do. I had no security card at that time or anything. So there was no way of, I presume I just wasn't able to activate the elevator that, that Carol was able to, <laughs> to suddenly propel. So uh, that was the funny part. The toughest part of the first day was actually getting to the fourth floor. That's funny. I guess with any building, I mean, security is one thing moving around is quite another. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny how it works. I, 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 uh, I didn't really feel like I had the cardio to make it up the stairs. So, uh, and I didn't even know where they were at the time actually. So, uh, that first day was just so, it was overwhelming and, it, and, uh, there hardly really hasn't been anything since then to, to change that. I just, uh, everybody is so nice and supportive and, uh, and just encouraging and welcoming. It was just, it kind of had me on my heels the, the first day I walked in there and that hasn't, uh, that hasn't changed a bit. I think my appreciation for it just only grows each day. And, and so do I, cause I've gained about 10 pounds since I started there. Cause there's just, uh, there's too much, too many chocolates. <laughs> Gotta stop eating the, the, the chocolates that Rob Harrison has on his desk. We talked sort of briefly about the terms of reference, but what was the expectation of the job? What, what did they want you to do? What did you feel you could offer them and how did that all mesh? What were the actual details of this? Um, it's, it's still pretty open-ended. I mean, they, 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 they were the ones who defined the, you know, the term writer historian when they gave me the job description, that's what it said. It was never really spelled out, but I guess that was, you know, implicit in the job description was, uh, was the expectation that I'd be the historian. That's certainly something that I was hoping to do. And then from there, it was just a matter of where do we go with that? Well, I, you know, we want to upgrade the, uh, and update the 
the historical base of the Rough Riders as it exists on the on Riderville.com. You know, with you know, working on an all-time player list and an all-time coaches list and upgrading the team records and lists of all-stars, etc. Um, there's just a, a number of things that that can be done there. So I've been busy with that. I think you know, primarily though, it's it. You know, we want to get uh, stories on the website about the players, the coaches, the employees. You know, tell people what's uh, what's going on. Have a little fun with it you know, as well. And, uh, my pledge to them when I started was there'll be something uh, fresh on the website every day, 365 days a year. As we record this on April 11th, I've still lived up to that. <laughs> I'm pretty pleased with that. That's a little barometer. I, that's an expectation I, I set for myself and they seem to have no problem with it. You know, they've been, they've been so amazing. It's just, it, it just blows me away. I just keep thanking people. I, they must be getting tired of me being so gushy, but anybody who had anything to do with, with, uh, with me getting this job or in the case of Carol, helping me figure out the elevator, I just keep saying, thank you. It's really a neat experience to at 50, I was 58 then I'm 59. Now at this stage of my career, when I think a lot of people have, if they haven't retired, they're certainly thinking about it to, to feel this, uh, this energized and this, this inspired and this welcomed, it's just, uh, it's, it's really gratifying. The problem is I, I, uh, I just don't know when to turn off the tap because I'm just addicted to it. And, uh, I was addicted to the previous job as well. So I guess I was just meant to be a workaholic. There's an adage that uh, I read about years ago and it's do what you love and the money shall follow. And I think you're living that dream. You know, my, I remember my dad saying something along those lines. He's not the first person to say it, obviously, but I mean, it was just along the lines of, you know, do something you love for a living because you, you spend a lot of time doing it. And if, if it's not something you like, if it's a grind, uh, that's, that can be pretty taxing. And, you know, my dad was a, was an architect and he loved that. And he was a jazz musician and he loved that. You know, he was as happy as could be doing whatever he did either of either way. And so, uh, I think I've, I've adopted that. He sounded better sitting at a keyboard than I did. I just make these clackety clack sounds. Dad had immaculate penmanship and ability to draw. And, uh, I just tried to draw a conclusion a couple of weeks, a couple of times a week. So, and my handwriting is kind of illegible. So there's no comparison there, but you know, I just, I just love it. I mean, I'm not a morning person by any stretch of the imagination. I had an interview with a player today at 8.30 a.m. And I was there at 8.26. That was unfathomable once upon a time. Mornings were just were just torturous for me. And, and I actually got up before the alarm. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know how that's happening. You touched on the history side of the equation. So that would be stats, player records, coaching records. What is the value of all that? What, is, what does that do for a franchise? I think you have to know where you've been. Right? I mean, there's so many foundational figures and uh, especially in a team like this, it's a community owned team that so many people have scratched and clawed to keep it going. It's not like there's some billionaire owner that, that just keeps writing checks. It's not one man's or one woman's empire. It has existed because a lot of people have you know, donated wheat in return for season tickets. That's because a lot of people have responded to telethons. It's because, uh, you know, businessmen and business people have stepped to the step to the fore and, you know, the average fan has stepped up years, a year after year, after year, decade after decade. I mean, there was a save the team 
blitz i think is 1937 i found there was one in 1961 there was a telethon in 1987 there was a, a mini telethon in 1993 trying to you know rustle up interest for the sacramento game here there was um uh telethon 97 you, you, so i mean you look at the board members and you know everything that they've contributed over the years the volunteers etc 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 i think you have to honor that you have to honor those people especially in a situation like this where it's just it's it's a it's a jewel of the community and whether you're a season ticket holder or a board member or a player you have a piece of it and that history that history has to be not only i think documented but respected and and honored and that's i think that i think is part of the role and we look outside the stadium and the two statues are ron lancaster and george reed uh that tells you everything about how steeped in history this uh franchise is if, if you don't tell the story of Pitfalls Taylor, I don't think you've told the, the, the entire rider story, et cetera. It just, uh, and I've always been kind of a history nerd anyway. So, uh, I'll always, you know, speak to that, that side of things, but, uh, I just, uh, I just, this is a team that goes back to, you know, October 1st, 1910 in terms of its first game. And I think because I covered that game, I'm eminently qualified to be a historian. <laughs> I have my doubts you were there, but who knows? Maybe there's photographic evidence. <laughs> well, the way my knees feel today, I, was, I think I was certainly there. This team to this province has always had a strong connection, but even the Rough Riders' first name didn't show up until much later in their history. Yeah, I mean, it was the Regina Rugby Club until the early 1920s, and then Rough Riders sort of came about informally and then formally... Uh, even the transition from Regina Rough Riders to Saskatchewan Rough Riders came about kind of gradually. You know, the, the jersey color was was an accident. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 amazing, and as, as I trace some of these projects, it's it's uh, you know I'm doing right now a piece of the top ten Saskatchewan raised players in in rider history, and one of the players I'm giving strong consideration to is Fred Wilson and. He debuted with the Regina Rugby Club in 1913 and finished with the Regina Rough Riders in uh, 1928. And there's a lot of players who spanned uh, spanned both of them. Uh, you look at the all-time Grey Cup listings in 1928 or 1923, it's Regina Rugby Club playing uh, Queen's University. And then go to 1928 and it's the, it's the Regina Rough Riders making their first of five consecutive Grey Cup appearances. Where do you go to find your primary sources for all of this? Um, newspapers.com is a, is a great, great tool. There's a number of reference books that I have, but newspapers.com it's, it's, it's just got pretty much a high percentage of newspapers anywhere. So, I mean, I will always be indebted to the, to the morning leader, the Regina leader post, uh, the Saskatoon star Phoenix newspapers across Canada that have covered Canadian football over the years that's they've they have been invaluable sources you know researchers um edward yoon did the definitive rough riders uh history statistically statistical history book in the early 2000s that is a is is an amazing piece of work bob calder a historian out of saskatoon he wrote the original rider pride history with gary andrews graham kelly is is documented rider history quite extensively. Uh, Steve Daniel, the CFL's uh, head statistician, is an absolute goldmine when it comes to that. A friend of mine named Tom Fuseshi 
is uh, is a independent researcher of all things riders and you know tom's researched the riders history of radio broadcast crews dating back to 1947 and he shared some of that information with me ardent fans that have uh have kept kept that information you know kurt phillips did a did a rider player a number of uh starting from 1960 onwards he did the uh rider statistical compendium uh, of players I'm so indebted to, to, you know, various researchers and, you know, I, I'm able to mine some of the interviews that I've done for various writer books over the years. I did a book on the 66 writers and a book on the 89 writers, et cetera. In so doing, I, I did long interviews with, with some people who sadly are no longer with us. You know, in the last year of Ron Lancaster's life, I had four long interviews with him. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's nice to have that the documentation and the, uh, and, uh, and their stories on record. And, uh, you know, sadly we're, we're losing, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm 59 years old now and it seems every second or third day I look on Twitter or wherever and a, an athlete I grew up watching, whether it was in the NHL, CFL, NFL, baseball, what have you passes away. And a lot of the people I grew up watching are in their eighties. Now it doesn't, it just doesn't seem digestible, but, you get to this age and you start losing some of your uh, athletic heroes. I mean, April eighth was Gary was would have been Gary Carter's sixty ninth birthday, and and Gary died just shy of fifty eight. It's hard to believe that you know Gary Carter isn't around anymore. And uh, so I, I'm glad I had the opportunity. You know, Glenn Dobbs, for example, passed away in two thousand and two, and I had a chance in the last decade of his life to interview him twice. And he was such an amazingly nice man. Both times he asked me to send him a copy of the article after it was published. So I did. I mailed it to his home in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and both times he sent me a wonderful thank you note. I still have both thank you notes. And so, yeah, I'm glad I, you know, more than 20 years ago now, I had the opportunity to talk to Glenn Dobbs. And then I still have the transcripts of those interviews. They're treasures. I just wish I'd kept the tapes. Glenn Dobbs, of course, led the Rough Riders to the Grey Cup, their only appearance in the 1950s, and lost to Ottawa. Yeah, back in the day, he threw a touchdown pass to Jack Nix for a five-pointer. <laughs> back in the day when touchdowns were only worth five, that's right. And I, I found out doing some research, Jack Nix ended up being like a jazz pianist. We left the Rough Riders in, in the early 50s, I think, went back down to the States and ended up being a really tremendous jazz musician. So I got to go and try and find some Jackson, Jack Nix recordings. I didn't know that, that the Rock Rough Riders had a jazz pianist in their uh, employ once upon a time until I, I got this job. The Riders had a lineman trial for them in 1966 out of Kansas named Richie Pratt. And uh, turns out he was a, just an absolutely amazing jazz drummer. So I've, I've broadened my appreciation of my favorite form of music since I got this job. I, uh, I just wish that Jack Nix and Richie Pratt had recorded together. We just need a bass player to be a really great trio. One of the things that has always sort of bothered me, but it seems to be getting corrected, is the custodians of the CFL history seem to be those that were motivated to do it rather than the teams or the league itself. And lately we're starting to see that change where teams are bringing on people to do their histories. Yeah, I think, you know, I think retro is kind of cool. I mean, the, how many teams have retro days now? The Rough Riders have their retro jerseys. There's, they're worn, you know, selectively. You look at the NFL and, and, and what it has meant to them to have NFL films documenting 
their games going back to 1962 with, with, uh, you know, Steve and Ed Sable and the importance of the visual record. That's something that's really tough to find Canadian football wise. I mean, how many different, you know, if somebody's doing like a feature on or a retrospective on Ron Lancaster, it's generally the same few or George Reed, it's generally the same few highlights that are shown. There isn't a real, uh, you know, wealth of or great treasury of video. And uh, one of the things I'm hoping to to do, especially working closely with Blake Tiedemann uh, with the Rough Riders, because there's there's access to some some uh, Rough Riders video vintage stuff, and we're 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 going to sit down one of these days and and uh, kind of hash out what we can do with this. Cause I think there's some lost treasures that, uh, that, uh, would people would really enjoy. And, uh, I got really pumped just thinking about that. Not long after I was hired, I got a text message from Blake and I'd worked, I dealt with him before. Cause I do, I did commentaries for the Plaza of honor inductions every year, just retro, just chatting about whoever's being inducted. So Blake would interview me. And then when I got hired, he sent me a note and, and, uh, I just, it was just so enlivening to hear how excited he was and start bandying about all the things we might be able to do and maybe just, just play a little bit of catch up. I mean, the American, the NFL teams, even the AFL teams, they've always had the resources that, you know, Canadian teams have not. It's, it's not just a Canadian football issue. It's junior hockey. I mean, how, uh, how many clips are there of Joe Sackick with the Swift Current Broncos or, Mike Medano with the Prince Albert Raiders or Dennis Sobchuk with the Regina Pats or I've never seen a clip of Fran Huck playing with the Regina Pats or Bill Hickey. And I'm, it must've been absolutely spectacular, but there's just, you know, there really hasn't been that sort of mindset where this, those things are preserved. Sometimes it, they're just perceived as a bunch of clutter in a file. You know, and there's, a, I don't think a lot of media outlets have done a, tremendous job of, of storing their archives. That's where somebody like Steve Daniel at the, at the CFL, who's, he's worked so hard to, to get the statistical base to where it's been. And now you, I can send Steve a casual inquiry and he'll, with three keystrokes, he'll find out what happened in 1953. We're lucky that there are the Steve Daniels of the world. We're lucky that there's, you know, people like, you know, Matt Young at CTV Saskatoon, who does a weekly, uh, digging into the vault type of uh, a series and finds old footage. And, you know, we, the other day he had some clips of Ray Algard at his first training camp with the Rough Riders in 1983, just amazing stuff. And it's, I'm so glad, especially somebody like Matt, who wasn't, you know, wasn't even alive when that happened, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and yet he feels that responsibility to, to in his own way, uh, cater to the, those of us who just want to see history preserved and celebrated. I've been very fortunate to, and we were talking about the Rough Riders and their colors. I've seen game film from 1947, the Rough Riders versus Winnipeg in full color. So Saskatchewan is wearing red and black in that football game. So they were the red blacks, right? Predecessors. (laughs) The history is a huge value. It, It not only teaches us about where, we've been, but it also talks to us about where we're going. And that's the players. That's the coaching staff. 
it's funny because I, I never was that really that into history when I was in was in school. But I mean, that was hearing about the Renaissance. I really didn't wasn't that interested in Michelangelo painting a ceiling. I just wanted to know. Uh, <laughs> I, I was more interested in in uh, in you know vintage CFL stuff and vintage NFL stuff, and I just always I always liked it. And I think there's it's 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 neat to unearth a little gem that has probably been sitting in a file somewhere for sixty years, and and all of a sudden you you find it. I found the other day that Charlie Connerly, who was like a Hall of Fame quarterback with the New York Giants, he was a he was a guest coach at Ryder training camp in 1962. He had no idea. The Ryder's head coach at the time happened to be Steve Owen, who was a legendary New York Giants head coach and who was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame a few years later, posthumously, sadly. And uh, so suddenly, Charlie Connerly is a guest coach at Steve Owen's first Ryder training camp. I mean, second Ryder's training camp, pardon me, uh, in 1962. You know, Clark Shaughnessy, who sort of pioneered Offensive football as we know it today was also a rider guest coach once upon a time. I had no idea. I did know that in 1958, Steve Belichick, Bill's dad, was a guest coach at rider training camp. And earlier that year, I think they tried to hire Sammy Baugh as the head coach, but he ended up staying at, I think, Hardin-Simmons College or University in Texas. But the riders ruling class at the time was, was really, you know, going great guns to try and get Sammy Baugh to be the head coach here. Hard to believe. And, uh, and it's amazing how many cases there are of players coming to Saskatchewan because, or the Canadian football, well, it wasn't the Canadian football league back then, but whether it's the, the big four or the Western interprovincial football union uh, players coming here because the, the, the money was better. You know, Stan Williams played for the Dallas Texans and then, uh, and all of a sudden, he's, he's with the Rough Riders. John Wozniak was a tremendous lineman with the Dallas Texans in 1952, and well established as a player in the states, as a, you know, in in the NFL, with the old New York Yanks for two years, and with the with the Dallas Texans, and before that with the Brooklyn Dodgers of the All American Football Conference, and and he was in his early 30s. He suddenly shows up in Saskatchewan in 1953. You know, Larry Isbell, a huge star at the University of Baylor, comes to Saskatchewan. There's so many of them in the 50s, Martin Ruby and Red Ettinger and Jack Russell and Jack Nixon and Glenn Dobbs and, and on and on and on. You know, they came and, and there were so many of them. They, they, came to, they came to Canada because the, it was actually a better opportunity in a lot of ways. Uh, and you'd still see traces of that into the 1970s when, uh, when there were periodic bidding wars where players would not like their initial offer uh, and come to Canada. You'd get players in the, into the early seventies, early to mid seventies who'd come to the CFL, even if they were drafted by a, by an NFL team, you know, Jim Warden was drafted by, I think by the Dallas Cowboys ended up coming to Saskatchewan instead, never went to Dallas. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. So now you look at the draft. If you're a sixth round pick, you still have, if you have a pretty good chance of making the team down there, draft capital is pretty, pretty huge in the NFL now, but once upon a time, you'd get a fourth or fifth round pick that had decided to come to Canada because there was a better offer. You get a number one overall pick like Tom Cousineau or a high pick like Keith Gary or I mean, 1992 Rocket or 91 Rocket Ismail. That was a bit of an anomaly back then, but you saw it more often in the 1980s. Terry Metcalf comes to, to uh, 
Toronto in 1978 because they could offer more money than the, or they did offer more money than the St. Louis Cardinals did. You didn't see that as often in Saskatchewan in the 60s and 70s. It was like Toronto and Montreal doing that for the most part. But in the 50s, you'd get the Martin Rubies and the John Wozniaks and the Larry Isbells and Stan Williams, Glenn Dobbs, on and on and on. It was it was amazing the type of players they get. Max Speedy was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame a few years back, and he finished his pro football career in Canada and played with the Rough Riders in the early 50s. Tremendous receiver with one of Otto Graham's favorite targets with the Cleveland Browns, and he played for the for the Rough Riders because they were making him a better offer than Paul Brown was. <laughs> I mean, it's it's stunning to me. It still blows me away. Bobby Marlowe out of Alabama. Look at, I mean, he was a just a stud player in college, comes to Canada. On and on and on. There's so many examples like that. And I just, it's just, it it's it's amazing to to immerse myself in them. I can't get enough of that. And 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 I have license to do it. <laughs> I did before, but now it's uh there's really no no limits on it. It's just everything is everything is green and white now. Is it fair to say that you've got a bit of an eidetic memory? Uh, I'm not sure. Cause I, my memory isn't good enough to remember what eidetic means. Help. Photographic. <laughs> it's, it's pretty selective. Like my, my wife laughs at it. She says like, you know, who, who, uh, you know, carried the ball the third play against BC in 1971, but you can't remember to take out the garbage. She's absolutely right there. It's really just fanatically focused on some things that I really, really, really get interested in. But in terms of practical knowledge, I need instructions to figure out how to use a toothbrush. I'm sure for the Rough Riders, this is exactly what they were hoping for. The enthusiasm, the historical knowledge, all melded into great storytelling. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I'm so flattered you would say that, Don. I, uh, you know, they've been, they've been nothing but nice and amazing about it. I'm just... Like I said earlier, I'm just so, so indebted. I'm still kind of feeling my way into it. You know, I, we're still trying to, you know, figure out how everything is going to work it is sort of a slow time. It's been crazy for me with, with the adjustment and everything. And, and, and the off season is a very busy time when it comes to selling season tickets and, and getting game preparations ready, game themes. I had a long chat earlier today with Seth Strankman, who is, is amazing at what he does just putting together the, the theme games, you know, Eva Fletcher and Anthony Partipillo, the chief brand officer. I mean, they're just, Anthony used to work for the Blue Jays. I mean, the, the intellect and the capabilities of these people is just, is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I see them doing what they do. And you know, in some ways, the off season's a, you know, a bit of a peak period for them. And that, you know, you're not going to just book Kim Mitchell or, you know, somebody that got to play at your, football game the day before the game, you got to work on that, you know, long time in advance. Uh, so it's showtime in a lot of ways for somebody like, you know, Seth Strankman, but, uh, I'm really interested to see what it's like covering a game, working for the Rough Riders. I'm, you know, the plan is to travel with the team. I'm going to be with the team for all of training camp in Saskatoon. That's something I've never done before. I haven't made a lot of rider road trips. I've made way more rider road trips as a fan with my mom than I have in my, uh, in my writing career, rough rider, great cup games aside. I, I don't think I've been to five rider road games just to cover them. I'll go to more than that this season. 
that's really intriguing just to be embedded and just the story possibilities there. I think that's where we're, re- you know, where the, where the team and myself will really get a feel for how this is going to, going to roll out and what kind of cool things can be done right now. There's still a bit of getting to know you. And, uh, once the season starts and, and there's, I think more of a routine developing and, and, and football season is in full swing. I'm so excited about what that is, is going to bring. And I'm also, also very curious because I've never seen it, you know, from the inside before it's just, uh, it's been really eye opening and really just great fun. You know, I keep referring to Seth, but Seth and John Phillips is just a, is just a, a genius and John handles a lot of really high level website things. And just, I'm trying to remember even how to describe his job. Like it's, it's so incomprehensible to me that I can't even remember the job title offhand, but it's just really intricate stuff. And Seth and John were having a conversation my second or third day in in the lunchroom and they were speaking English and I didn't understand a word they were saying because it was also CRM programmer analyst is John's title. And they were, they were discussing things about the Maxtron and how things go on the Maxtron. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And they, and they were talking about that. Like you and I would, would talk about the 89 grade cup. <laughs> it was just, I couldn't believe the level of sheer genius that was in that conversation and the, just the, the intricacies to the nth degree of, of the material they were discussing. I just kind of quietly snuck to the back of the lunchroom and just made coffee. Uh, everybody's just so incredibly smart and so incredibly great at what they do and they're, they're empowered to, to do it. And I'm really anxious to see it all roll out during football season. Once it's showtime. You know, you have the draft and there's the combine and there's, there's certain little signposts during the off season, you know, the free agency period and, and, you know, Trevor Harris signing here and on February 14th, that's, you know, that's the biggest rider story of the year to date to see it in action. Uh, that is going to be so cool when it's the entirety of what I do. And, uh, am I going to miss the leader post? I'll always miss the leader post. Uh, you know, I'd loved my time there and what I'm doing now is not intended or my, my decision to leave is not intended as a slight against them. Sometimes just when you've been doing something for a long time, you just need, you need something, something fresh, something new. And, uh, and this was just something I just could not even fathom turning down once it, it came to be. Uh, and it's, it's just really neat to see it from, uh, from this side and just realize how lucky I am to, to not only be where I am, but to work with the people that I, uh, that, uh, I'm so blessed to work with. It's just, it's stunning to me. And it's all going to start ramping up. May, well, May camp begins May 14th, rookie camp is, you know, a few days before that. Um, you know, I've completed high level negotiations in order to get my bike up to Saskatoon so I can go for, uh, go f- get some exercise in after practices are done. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to miss my dog. But, uh, that's going to be so cool. I've, I've never covered training camp unless it's been in Regina. And suddenly, uh, suddenly here I am being in Saskatoon for a month. I'm just giving Saskatoon fair warning. That is going to be so fascinating. 
you know, it's like a transition from what I was doing, but what was I, what did I do when I was a kid after school, I would go to university of Regina and watch training camp. That's what I did. I still have my 1973 rider training camp prospectus, right? 76, 77, you know, 78. I still got my home movies from 1978 training camp at the U of R, Ron Lancaster's last training camp. And I take my dog snowball out to training camp and that's what I do. In a way, it's kind of going right back to my roots as a sports fan. And that is so interconnected with uh, following the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with my mom. Looking forward to reading a lot more from you on riderville.com. And Rob Vanstone, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. All the best. It couldn't have happened to a better guy. I'm, I think they made the right decision. Oh, you're so kind, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.